by him. Who's new here tonight? Do we have any newbies, as we call you? Raise your hand, please, if you're new. Yay! We're glad to have you here. There's a clip where we're going to pass around. If you want information to be sent to you via email uh, about Communitas, what's going on, please sign this, and I'll just give this to you, and then you can pass it around. Now, for anybody who's new, if you want to find out more information about Communitas, if you would just uh, please find a seat, that would be splendid. So, if you want to learn more about Communitas, Paul Anderson, that guy right there, will meet you somewhere on top of this ceiling, and um, you can find out more, ask questions, get to know him, and uh, maybe he'll pray for you, too. That'd be kind of nice. And speaking of prayer, after the message, um, if you have any sort of prayer need, please come up here to the front. We have a prayer team, and they will pray for you. And we expect to see God move and to see the kingdom of God advance in your life. So do that. Words of knowledge. The Bible talks about words of knowledge, words of wisdom, and he he gives his people words of knowledge. And um, you saw me releasing that stuff tonight. I kept listening to the Holy Spirit. What do you want to release and how do you want me to release it? And I was obedient, and I could feel his power go and bring breakthrough. And I know that things happen. I could feel the power in the spirit realm release and the power of darkness break. I could. And I, I expect that there will be powerful testimonies of people's hearts um, getting freed in their, their emotional lives and so forth. So if you believe God's sharing something with you to share with us, please come to a leader and we'll test it and uh, release it in the due time or just test that word. And let's see, it looks like we have um, perhaps some people who have February birthdays, right? Tomorrow's February. Okay, raise your hand if you have February birthdays. Anyone? Okay, stand up, stand up. And we're going to sing happy birthday to you. All right, folks. Your birthday today. Will you stand up too? Come on. Her, her birthday's on Sunday. I hope she gets good cake. High quality cake, Paul. Get her high quality cake. Okay. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Naomi Grandy Winnell. Happy birthday to you. All right. Now, this weekend, February 3rd and 4th, we're having a special event, equipping conference with a guy named Jack Deere. And here's the program, and people come to Communitas get half off, and Jack Deere, this guy is awesome. I listen to this guy regularly online. He was a seminary professor. He got hit by the Holy Spirit. He was a cessationist. He spoke against the gifts of the Spirit. And he went down to uh, Mike Bickle's church at the time, and uh, he encountered prophets. And he's like, holy smokes, this is real. And his theology changed, and he got attacked and accused of false teaching. And this man has been on the forefront of uh, the, the move of the Holy Spirit the past few decades. And he's been through a lot of suffering, a lot of hardship, and he's overcome a lot. He has a real father's heart. So... I encourage you to get blessed by Jack Deere if you can make it this weekend. And I think that Paul Anderson has another message. I do. Anybody here like the way Bob gives announcements? Isn't it fun? I want some of that holy smoke that he talked about. He did say one thing that was slightly inaccurate, but he did it because he didn't know. Because I usually meet with the newbies, but tonight... There's somebody else that's going to meet with the newbies, Jonathan, and I'm going to meet with people who are interested in a new school that, by God's good grace, we will start in the fall. It's for people in transitions, people who have graduated from high school, and they're saying, what's the next step? Maybe stepping into college, and they need to get ready for that change in scenery. For people who are moving from college, who have a diploma, and say, what do I do with this? and are wondering what the next step is. We want to get people from step C to D. It's not a Bible school, although we're studying right from the Bible. It's not a ministry school, although it'll train you for the ministry. It's a life school to help you get from here to there, from C to D. Some people are stuck, 
and they need some help. We're going to have a nine-month school. You give us nine months, and we'll touch the next hundred months. So if you want to talk more about it, ask questions, I'll be up in the next room over from the newbies. So if you're newbies, you meet with Jonathan, and if you want to talk about the school, meet with me. Thank you, Mr. Paul Anderson. Okay. <laughs> Messenger Boot Camp. Trinity Works does a program called Messenger Boot Camp, which trains God's people for evangelism. Anybody have done that in the past? Anyone here? Good, good, good thing? Was it profitable for you? Yes. yes. Okay. So it's, it's a good thing. It's awesome, they say. So this is back. It's coming each Saturday in March and April. And I guess in the Communitas update, all the details are there. So do pray about that. Think about that. And on Sundays, there is a church here at 1030, and it's called Lydia House. And it's a really good thing. I, I go to this church, and you're all welcome to come. If you don't have a church home on Sundays, please check it out. You're more than welcome. And every other Sunday, there's food. I mean, you gotta, you got to come and get the food at least, you know, and try it out. So um, is there an Angela in the house? Do we have an Angela Wilson in the house somewhere? Would you please come up and introduce our speaker tonight? Okay. Very good. That kind of took me by surprise. I didn't know I was going to really announce this. Well, here is an amazing vessel of God. He will be uh, giving the word. We got married about um, two and a half months ago. Yeah, so we're fresh off the press. So if you have any questions, come ask us. <laughs> Experts. So, Amen. So, <laughs> and then try to get it right. The cross is the key and the blood. So, amen. Do you, you going to pray for me, honey? Sure. I just brought the A-team in because I need to thread the needle tonight. So we, uh, yeah. Yeah. Amen. So let's all gather and pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word that it would want, run swiftly. I thank you, Jesus, that you would be put on display and that you would draw all men unto yourself. God, I thank you that you would fill this vessel with your anointing, with your power, that you would strengthen him to declare your truth and that hearts would be gripped with the revelation of eternity. Jesus, we want to know you. Jesus, we want to hear your voice. We want to know what's on your heart, God. We know that the days are so short. And we want to have a great revelation of what you're doing on this earth. God, I pray that you would speak mightily through him in your precious name. Amen. Amen. I can't wait till you guys get to hear her preach soon. Man, she's on fire. If you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to Luke 7. Uh, I'm going to give you a little background on how this message kind of got birthed in my heart. Uh, the title of tonight's message is Restoring the Joy of Your Salvation, A Closer Look at Hell. Um, Say that again. <laughs> Restoring the Joy of Your Salvation, A Closer Look at Hell. We're going to look at the doctrine of hell tonight. And I want to tell you why. I felt like about a year and a half ago, I felt like the Holy Spirit whispered to me uh, just the phrase that there's enough joy in the reality of what we've been saved from to allow us to endure any amount of suffering. And part of the, part of the thing that, that has touched my heart is I, I went to Northwestern College, for those of you that know my testimony, and it was during my journey there that we have three parking lots. The, the student center is on the far east side, and there's a parking lot right next to it and a parking lot in the middle and a parking lot on the far end. And they, the students just over the years named those three parking lots. Does anybody know the names of them? Heaven, purgatory, and hell. And, and one day, the Holy Spirit inside of me was so grieved that I heard someone call that parking lot hell, and I felt like the Lord said, I died to save you from a lot more than a long walk in the winter. And the devil has attempted to undermine this reality to keep us as believers from two things. First of all, the joy of what we've been saved from. And we're going to look at Luke 7 and how that is established. And secondly, the urgency for those who don't know Jesus yet. And uh, this is a crucial truth that's in the body of Christ that is under attack, even though it's been, you know, historically established doctrinally. And we're going to look at some of the uh, some of the words behind the word that we translate in English, hell, and what does the Bible actually teach on this topic. And I understand it's incredibly controversial, but it's really healthy for the body of Christ. And so, as a shepherd, as as a ministry of Communitas, we are committed to the entire counsel of God, and that only gets tested. 
when we're addressed with an issue that we're uncomfortable with. And so I'm committed that Jesus wants to exalt his word and that there's a lot of importance. Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else in the scripture. So I'm going to come tonight with you guys, hopefully, that you can say amen to these two truths. And these are going to determine everything we work forward from at this point. And the first truth is this book is true. Okay? This book is true and I don't have authority over it. It has authority over me. And that, that might sound like Duh, you're a Christian, the word of God's your authority, but that's not true practically for many in the body of Christ today. It's not true for many that are in the pulpit in the body of Christ today. And so that's the first truth. The second truth is this. Jesus is more loving than anyone else. I'm not more loving than Jesus. And so what happens a lot is we look at his life and we subject his teaching to our humanistic understanding of compassion. And so I want to come with those two realities in my heart that, that this word is true, and so I'm going to believe it, and that Jesus' heart, he's never, you know, there's no one else that's died for those that are in hell but Jesus. And so we're going to look at why. So Luke chapter 7, let's just take a peek. I want to look at one verse as to the, the foundation of why we're going to look at what the Bible teaches on hell. You guys know the story. Jesus is invited to a dinner, and... Uh, a woman breaks into this encounter and starts lavishing love upon Jesus. And it makes the Pharisees a little uncomfortable because they know that this woman's not living a lifestyle that, you know, is okay with them or she hasn't come out of a lifestyle. And they're like, hey, man, do you know who's, you know, touching your feet right now? And, and Jesus begins to ask a series of questions. And I really want to look at his answer in verse 47 because I think it has tremendous implications to this teaching tonight. And Jesus says this, In light of her response to him, he says, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Here's the revelation. None of us have been forgiven more than each other when it's compared to a just and a holy God. So the point Jesus is making is not you and I compare our lives and you've sinned more and so therefore you love God more. Here's the revelation. The more awareness I have of my sin against God, that determines my level of gratitude. Paul talked about this a couple weeks ago when we talked about mercy. He had a bunch of people stand up and said, how many of you have college debt? Over $20,000, they stood up. And he said, this is what the mercy of God does. It says you're forgiven, right? Now, the greater amount of debt or the awareness of the greater amount of debt that you have will determine your heart of thankfulness to the one who forgave you. And if we understand that Jesus died to save us from far more than a rough life, but actually he saved us from eternal conscious torment, the level of gratitude we walk in is exponentially greater. And I felt like the Lord whispered this to me that this is actually the remedy to suffering, to endure suffering, is actually the revelation that if I've trusted in Jesus Christ, I will never end up there. (laughs) So as Christians, we can approach this doctrine, understand it, first of all, understand something about the heart of God, because there's a lot of accusation that how could a loving God? Well, if we start with that statement, we're saying we have the authority to look over God and determine whether or not he is, you know, fitting our reasoning of what we decide love looks like and the truth is he is love and the truth he is just and the truth is he is holy those are the three pillars to the person of god and he never does something out of just one of those attributes he is all of those things all the time and everything he does is that in expression amen so that's kind of the foundation there's two goals for tonight and the two goals are that we would grow in love for the reality of what we've been forgiven i deserve hell i deserve it I know I justly deserve it. And the only reason I am not going to experience it is because of Jesus Christ. And and the gratitude that arises in my heart when I meditate on what he actually did at the cross. See, the truth is, if we lose the doctrine of hell, I have eight things listed that we lose. We lose the entire gospel. You don't understand the cross if you don't understand hell. You don't understand the mission of the church if you don't understand hell. You don't understand the severity of sin. You don't understand the glory of God. You don't understand the pride of man if we don't understand sin and hell. So we're going to look at those things. And my, my desire is first that we grow in love and revelation of what we've been forgiven and that we grow in urgency to share the gospel. And so those CDs that you received are going to come in later. Uh, we're going to talk about those and hopefully activate all of us in a passion for evangelism. So I'm actually going to pray again. 
Not because my lovely wife didn't pray powerfully, but I just, I need Jesus. Father, we just love you. Father, we come just trembling at your word, trembling at the truth of what you've spoken to us, Jesus, on this topic of hell. And I pray that you would uh, root out wrong understanding, that you'd root out preconceptions that would keep us from taking an unbiased look at what your word actually says. God, I just pray for every heart here that we would understand your heart behind your eternal judgment and why it's so important and why it's so true and so good and why the angels actually declare righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. Why is heaven worship you when you judge? And how do we understand the gospel in light of that? In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to actually in a second get into the different words in the Hebrew and the Greek because I think that'll help us just develop some understanding uh, to this issue. But uh, let me say a couple things first. I'm just going to repeat it. As we, to grow in love for Jesus, the Spirit of God often shows us our true condition without Him in order to help us get delivered from self-righteousness. <laughs> self-righteousness is an, a huge enemy to each of our hearts. And self-righteousness is the issue that was taking place in, in Luke chapter 7. And, uh, and she, in a, with awareness of her sin, had extravagant love when she was forgiven. And so that's my, my hope tonight. So a closer look at hell. Though incredibly controversial today, the doctrine of hell finds a significant place in the teaching of, teachings of Jesus and throughout the scriptures. As we approach this topic, we must come with the conviction that the Bible is true <laughs> and not minimize the witness of it. It's not loving for us to minimize any truth in the scripture. Though it may feel good up front, it's not, it's not helpful. And I believe that understanding hell will actually empower us to remain faithful even when facing persecution or death. Jesus says that if you want to look at Luke 12. I'm going to flip to a couple places pretty quick, um, but uh, you can write it down and look at it on your own. I just want to read the words of Jesus here um, with the practical implications. So there's some really incredibly practical implications. Jesus actually speaks about hell in the context to how the believer battles and wars against sin. He says if something causes you to sin, cut it off. Why? Because it's better... <laughs> To have that thing cut off than to get cast your entire body into hell. So Jesus, this is at the forefront of his motivation to believers for righteous living. In Luke chapter 12, that's what he says. He says, I say to you, my friends, Luke 12, 4, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say fear him. And let me say this. We all understand the importance of uh, Paul says this in Romans eleven twenty two in context to Israel and them being cut off because of the rejection of Jesus. He says, consider both the goodness and the severity of God. Now we know that a good parent does not just look at a hot stove and teach their child that that, that stove has the ability to heat up boiling water to make pasta or to fry an egg to eat, but an equally mature parent will also warn that child of the opposite potential for that good thing, right? And so Jesus is no different. Though he tells us of the glories of heaven, he also shares with us the horrors of hell. And there's an incredible reason for that. And that's what he says, that actually our fear, let me just say a little word about fear for a second. Fear is giving someone authority in your life. It's giving them power in your life. We fear who we think's in control. And Jesus says, if we understand it rightly, we don't actually fear hell. That's not the right response to hell. He actually says, don't fear people that can kill you. Fear the person who has real control. And that's the Father. And understanding this actually delivers us from every other fear because we understand what he's done. Amen? Okay, we're going to talk at just briefly some of the different words. I think this is important just to navigate the different words that the Old and New Testament use for hell or for the place of endless suffering of the wicked. Much of our confusion comes from that. There's actually quite a few words. In the Old Testament, it's Sheol. And then the New Testament, we have Hades, Gehenna, Tartarus, and Abasos, I believe is how you say it. It's translated to the abyss or the uh, bottomless pit. And they're used at different times. And I think let's just talk about each one of these words for a second. I'm just going to give you some background. Sheol is used 66 times in the Old Testament. And it's translated a bunch of different words in the English. Sometimes it's transliterated, meaning it, they actually translate it sheol. You've probably all read that in the Old Testament. It's also translated hell 
And I don't think that's helpful necessarily. The grave, death, and the pit. And this is actually the place of the dead in the Old Testament. This is the place where in Luke 16 we see that there's actually two parts to Sheol. Sheol doesn't necessarily mean torment. Sheol is the place of the dead, both of the wicked and the righteous. Okay? And we're not going to unpack actually what happened at the cross. There is some, you know, there are disagreements in the body to the reality of that. I think Sheol was divided into Hades, well, what we call in the New Testament Hades, and Abraham's bosom. And we're going to look at that. So the second word that we use in the New Testament is Hades, and it's used 11 different times. Sometimes it's translated in, in the New King James, it's translated just to Hades, right? Can you think of sometimes it's used? What, what does Jesus have the keys of? Death and Hades, right? Okay, Hades is the New Testament counterpart to Sheol, except for this. It's minus the place of of, of rest. So it's just the place of torment. Does that make sense? So you have Sheol, which is the place of the dead, righteous and unrighteous. Then you have Hades, which is minus the place of rest, minus Abraham's bosom, Luke 16. We'll look at that in a second. And another word we have, and, and let me just say this, the Bible does not actually teach uh, purgatory or soul sleep. It teaches that everyone, once they die in this body, they are conscience, conscious for eternity. Okay, that's really important to establish. We're going to look at a few verses for that. Actually, flip to Luke 16 quick. You're in Luke 7, so it's not too far away. Or in Luke 12, you're right. We're just moving right through Luke. So, and let me, let me establish this just to give you some grid work. Actually, it says in Revelation chapter 20 that Hades is actually at one point after the millennial reign is actually thrown into the lake of fire. So heaven and hell right now, this may be new for you, heaven and hell right now are temporary in the sense that they are not in their final state. Why? Because it teach, the Bible teaches in Daniel 12, John 5, and uh, Acts 24, the resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So every believer and unbeliever that has died with or without Christ is still awaiting final judgment. Does that make sense? And so as they're awaiting that, the place, the holding place, we're going to look at one of the words that's actually used. We, it's only used once in the New Testament. It's called Tartarus. It's used in 2 Peter 2. It's the verse that's used for the holding place of angels that have left their abode. And Jesus actually is, is talking about how there's a temporary holding place, and it says in Proverbs that, that Sheol actually has chambers. So most people believe that that's actually one of the chambers of, of what is now Hades. Are we tracking? So we have Sheol in the New Testament, speaking of the dead, righteous and wicked. New Testament, we have Hades, which is the place of torment that is, they're awaiting the final judgment. Amen? So we're in Luke, where are we in? Luke 16, right? Okay. This is a story that, you know, you can look at more on your own, but Jesus gives a lot of insight into the, the, the state of those who have not necessarily walked with the Lord and those who, we look at their life now and we think, man, they got a really bad deal. And this is really important, beloved, that we need an eternal perspective. If we don't have an eternal perspective of our life, we're going to fall into deception. And what that means is I need to view my life in light of how it really matters. And that's what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord, I'll just give you a simple definition, everything matters. The fear of the Lord means everything matters. Everything I do matters. And I love this because when I understand the weight of my sin and what I deserved, and then I look at the cross, my heart comes alive. There are, there are many today who are living their life and they're not, they're, they're, not walking with Jesus, and they're not running into the church crying out in repentance for their sin to be forgiven, in large part because they're unaware of the reality of what lies ahead. It's not loving for me to see someone getting ready to drive off a cliff and bless them in that journey. The question is, do we actually believe that what the Bible teaches is true? Do, do we actually believe, has God so gripped our heart? God, you saved us from hell. One of my favorite songs right now is a song by a guy named Luke Wood, and the song goes like this. You owe me nothing. I deserve hell. You owe me nothing, and you've given me mercy. He's given me mercy. He owes me nothing. Entitlement in my life is, is dealt with when I understand that this is what I justly deserve. Amen? 
So Luke 16, verse 19, Jesus is telling a story. He says there's a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen. And there's a certain beggar, verse 20, named Lazarus, full of sores. And he goes on to describe their lives. And it says in verse 22 that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, there's that word in the New Testament, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Oh, that Lazarus may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in the flame. Abraham said, Son, remember, in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus is evil. But now he is, you are comforted, or sorry, he is comforted and you are tormented. The reality of Hades is that it's torment. And then he says this, And besides that, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed. So, though, so that though you want to pass from here to you, you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. One of the first things we realize is that it's eternal. You only live one life, and what you do in this life matters forever. <laughs> I, I can't think of something that is a greater motivator for me when I get up in the morning. My life matters. And I'm not talking it matters in the sense of what the world says. I'm talking it matters before the eyes of the Lord. You have a father who sees in secret. And these two guys, if you look at their life from our perspective generally, we're like, man, the rich guy, he had it great. But what Jesus is doing, he's extending our vision to give us discernment. And it wasn't that this rich man, you know, lived and had stuff that sent him to Hades. It's his rejection of God, period. There's no amount of works. We don't believe in a works-based gospel. It's a grace-based gospel, but when you receive that grace, if you genuinely have, it will produce corresponding action. So Hades is used 11 times, and in Revelation chapter 20, it's finally thrown to the lake of fire. It's the holding place until final judgment. You, we, we know a couple things. They're conscious. It's not going to change, and in Hades, it's torment and fire. Beloved, this is gripping. This should cause us to reel for a second. And not to the place where we avoid this and try to like, well, we'll just, you know, kind of be embarrassed about this. This should cause us to be terrified and then to run to Jesus because he died to save us from this. Jesus died. And if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, I, I, I'm going to plead with you out of this passage that this is the only thing that waits the unrepented. <laughs> This is the only thing they have to look forward to, beloved. Oh, beloved. Oh, Jesus, you're so amazing. The next word in the New Testament is the word Gehenna. And if, you, if you're aware of, it actually means the Valley of Hinnom. And if you look at the city of Jerusalem, there's a valley that runs north and south on the east side called the, the Kidron Valley, right? And then below it, there's a, another valley, the Valley of Hinnom, which runs from the southwest corner east to the Kidron Valley. And uh, this became the place in Jeremiah's day where babies were offered as sacrifices to Molech. It turned into an, a huge garbage dump, and there was sewage, and it stank, and there was literally burning bodies and burning animals. You can look at that in Jeremiah 7. It actually says that uh, this was a high place, meaning this was a place of idol worship where they burned their sons and daughters in the fire. And it was King Josiah in 2 Kings 23 that actually was responsible for putting an end to this. But what happened is this became, in the Hebrew mindset, a picture of the eternal judgment. And Jesus uses this word, and I, I want to bring a couple things in here that may be new to you, and you know, I just submit it to you to, to check it out on your own. But it seems that Hades is the place that those are that are uh, awaiting the final judgment, whereas Gehenna speaks of a bodily torment. So it may be that, the, that Gehenna, when Jesus speaks about hell, is actually the final state, which is more uh, closer to the lake of fire. I, I mentioned Tartarus. Um, let's actually look at uh, Matthew 5.29. This is a reference Jesus uses the word Gehenna. And, and so you have Sheol in the Old Testament, then you have Hades in the new minus the place of rest. Then you have Gehenna speaking of the torments that await those separated from God. Jesus says this, and this is, this is from the lips of God himself who is far more loving than we're aware of. 
And he finds it necessary that we actually trumpet this message because it, it, it says in Jude 23 that, that we save some with compassion and others with fear. We make a distinction, hating even the garment that's defiled by the flesh, snatching them from the fire that awaits them. There's nothing that motivates evangelism like the revelation of hell. Matthew 5.29, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking of how the believer is supposed to respond to the issue of sin in their life. And he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. Be cast into Gehenna. Anybody glad that they're never going to go there because of what Jesus did? Do you think we have reason to be excited no matter what we face in this age? I mean, my, my, me, me dying, there's no amount of torment or suffering we're going to experience in this age that is eternal. It all has an end, beloved. There's a day coming, the great day of divide, right, where the sheeps and the goat are divided. And it talks, Jesus talks a lot about what judgment is like in that day. And then let's flip to Revelation 20. So we have Sheol in the New Testament, speaking of the place of the dead. We have Hades, which is the New Testament counterpart. Then we have Gehenna, Tartarus, which is one of the chambers of hell. And then we have the Lake of Fire. powerful passage revelation 19 is the return of christ and the judgment of the wicked at that point he's he's killing those with the mark of the beast the thousand year reign in verse four through six and then after that verse 13 says the sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and hades there it is again were delivered up the dead who were in them. So that's a place of the dead. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Flip back to verse uh, chapter 14. Whew, Jesus. This is... Beloved, I, I, I'm just gripped that there'd be people that, that we wouldn't speak of this lightly or not speak of this reality because it proves that we haven't grasped its horror. I, I don't think you can overstate the terror and the horror of hell. I don't think you can. I don't, I don't hear anybody that's doing it. Now, let me say about fire and brimstone preaching, you hear that kind of category. You can do this in the wrong spirit. <laughs> you can do this of like, you know, a self-entitlement of I'm, I'm more righteous than someone. You're all headed to hell. The truth is, beloved, we all would be there if it was not for the cross. We all would be there. And that's the heart of God. We cannot have true gospel preaching without understanding this doctrine. That eternal judgment is real. And I'm going to talk about a couple of the false teachings that are creeping into the body of Christ today. They're actually dulling our hearts to this reality. This should terrify this. You should lose some sleep over this. That there are people that you're in relationship with that if you don't open your mouth and, and share with them the glory of Jesus' death for their sin, they will go to this place. This is not just doctrine. This is re- these are real lives. There are real people right now in a place of torment, and it's never going to end. Ever. If any of us actually believe this, how would it change the urgency that we live in? How would it change the way I interact with those who don't know Jesus. It's not going to make me more self-righteous and angry with them. It's going to make me plead with them. Paul says, I know the terror of the Lord and I persuade men. I plead, I implore them, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Hell is real. Judgment is real. And apart from the death, the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ in your place, that's all you have to await. That's it. And I'm not going to water it down because it's not popular in the church beloved this is true and it's true regardless how many people have ended up there who didn't believe in it it doesn't change the reality it doesn't change it just because we're not comfortable with it and we keep our mouth closed are you hearing my heart a little bit i want to like start crying uh, this this has messed me up it's messed me up personally because i know i deserved it and i know jesus took it for me 
can't stand before God with any righteousness of my own. None. If it wasn't for his blood, I'd be there forever. And I have, I, I have, I have nothing in myself to accuse God of that being unjust. It's not unjust. That's the weight of my sin in light of the glory of God. See, we've minimized sin. We don't talk about sin. And so we don't understand the just payment that that deserves against a holy God. Oh, God, give us, give us your heart for the reality of eternal judgment. Give us your heart, God. I know it's important because, Jesus, you talked about it. Oh, God, give us your heart that we would plead with men. Some of the phrases that Jesus used to speak of eternal judgment, weeping and gnashing of teeth, the worm does not die, Mark 9, that doesn't sound like it's ending, unquenchable fire, eternal fire, the hell of fire, eternal punishment, anguish in the flame. Oh, God. It was the fear of the Lord that, that saved me. <laughs> Do you know the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? I thought I could confess a prayer a long time ago and feel good about the way I was living. And I remember reading the words of Jesus when he said, the tree that doesn't bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. My life wasn't bearing fruit. I would have told you I was a Christian. I wasn't right with God at all. I was living in unrepented sin. And there is, there is something that should grip us in that place. If that's you tonight, I plead with you to turn and receive the gospel. Receive the truth of what Jesus did and allow it to change the way you're living. There's two false teachings on hell that are becoming common, and we're going to talk about them briefly. And the reason is because one of the roles of the shepherds in the church, if you read the epistles, is to address heresy, is to address the teachings that are actually leading believers astray. That's what the whole book of Jude's given over to. There's a lot, there's a lot that Paul and the apostles talk about. So we're going to talk about the first one. It's called universalism. It's becoming really popular, or you could call it universal reconciliation. I'm just going to describe these, give you some definition. It's the unbiblical view that everyone will be saved. Beloved, that is, that is false. That is false teaching. You do not hear it in the scriptures. There's not a trace of biblical evidence for universalism. Jesus says, narrow is the way and there are few who find it. And if you're one of those few right now that you know the way that God's delivered you from deception, you should rejoice. You're in the minority. You are in the, the very, very, very small minority of those today on earth that can, that can actually know that you're saved because of the blood of Christ, that you've actually acknowledged that he is the son of God. You can acknowledge his death and resurrection as the only means of your reconciliation. Universalists give various theological beliefs concerning the process or state of salvation, but they adhere to the view that salvation history concludes with reconciliation of the entire human race. Many adherents assert that the suffering and crucifixion of Jesus constitute the mechanism that provides redemption for all humanity. Does that make sense? There are people in the body who say, yeah, it's Jesus, his death, that's why they're reconciled, but everyone's going to be reconciled. Beloved, there's a gulf that is fixed. It's appointed for men to die, and then comes the judgment. There's, no, th there's books that are being written today that people are buying into that, man, that's unloving. Beloved, God is not love if he does not remove wickedness forever. <laughs> if, he, if he treats wickedness that lightly, that, now let me say this, the same Greek word that is used for the state of the righteous, the length of the state of the righteous, is the same word used for the length of the state of the wicked. It's eternal. It's forever. It's actually the same word that's used of the Trinity. So there's various forms of this teaching of universalism in the body of Christ, and they stand in contrast to the traditional long-standing view of eternal and conscious torment. The second is annihilationism. Have you ever heard that? Annihilationism? This is the unbiblical belief that those who are apart from salvation and that the death of human beings results in their total destruction. They're annihilated rather than everlasting torment. In other words, God judges them for a certain amount of time, and then it's done, and then they don't exist. How could that be, beloved? Let's look at Revelation 14. I think you're there, right? John hears three angels. The third angel in verse 9. I have to take God's word for what it says. I can't, I can't change it. I can't make it say something else that I want to believe. Here, here I stand, I can do no other. That's what Martin Luther said, right? Here I stand, I can do nothing else but to declare to you the truth. And I pray that you do the same. A third angel followed, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives the mark 
on his forehead or his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength in the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. They have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image. It's torment. It's forever. They're aware of it. You can't be tormented if you're annihilated, right? If you cease to exist, that's not torment. And the Bible says that, and, and, beloved, this actually has a really practical application. The mark of the beast could be offered to someone in this room. There could actually come a time where this reality, to worship a man who has you know, had a mortal head wound, raised from the dead, political authority, power, who stands up, says, I'm God, worship me or I'll kill you. Beloved, let him kill you. You'll never go there. If you take the mark, you will. I mean, like, I, I don't know if I could be more desperate to plead with you that th- this is a big deal. This is serious. This is really serious. Our allegiance to Jesus has eternal implications. It's not like, well, I'm going to, you know, take the mark, but not in my heart. No! No, it's real. And the torment is more agonizing. Than I, I, if we got baptized with an, uh, an ounce of God's heart, with this reality, if we could experience it for a second, we would be so terrified. We would live differently. We'd live like different people, and yet we have the Word of God that's telling us these things. The Word should be enough. That's what happens in, in the Lazarus rich man situation. He goes, go tell my brothers. Go tell them so they don't have to come here. And what does he say? What does Jesus say? He has Moses. If he doesn't believe the Word of God, he's not going to believe someone who was raised from the dead. Who was raised from the dead, Right? Do we believe him? Oh, Jesus. Thank you for your mercy, God. Thank you that you saved us. Thank you that we'll never experience wrath. Annihilationists assert that God will eventually destroy or annihilate the wicked, leaving only the righteous. Now, I understand there's some verses that they appeal to in the New Testament, like Jesus saying he'll destroy your body and soul in hell. The problem is the misunderstanding of the word destroy. Destroy there does not mean the absence of being. It means the absence of well-being. It means judgment. Does that make sense? Let me say this too. Hell is not the absence of God's presence. In one sense, it's the withdrawal. It's, it's a withdraw, uh, withdrawal. Is that a word? Withdrawal? He's withdrawing. That's better. He's withdrawing in terms of the redemptive blessing. But the reason hell... The, most, the worst thing about hell is actually God's presence. And it's in judgment. It's in the form of judgment that I deserve. I deserve. Jesus drank that cup for me. Jesus drank the cup of wrath I deserve forever. I deserved it righteously. I have no accusation against God judging me that way forever. Ever. That's why, I mean, the cross comes into a whole new light when we realize he didn't save us from a bad day and a bad hair day, and our employer getting upset with us, he saved us from the eternal, unending wrath of the Father. We use, it, we use the word atonement. He atoned for my sin. He was the propitiation. Propitiation, In other words, he took upon the judgment I deserve. And that judgment was not from Satan. Satan sends no one to hell, beloved. Let me just settle that issue. God is the only one who has authority over our eternal destiny. Now, Satan's going to be there. And the lake of fire wasn't created for humans. It was created for the devil and his angels. But those who reject God and his plan of salvation will join them there. And we know that according to Revelation 14 that it says they'll be tormented in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. I'm going to share one more thing and then move into the application of this. Oh my goodness, Jesus. How many of you guys have heard a testimony of someone who's been to hell? There's a few different books out right now. There's some, a lot of testimonies. And let me just say a couple of things. We don't build doctrine on experiences like that at all. But the impact of those, a lot of those testimonies on my life is they've confirmed biblical reality and they've given fresh insight and revelation to the reality of this. And um, I actually had the, the privilege of, of heading down to the International House of Prayer where they have, there's an evangelism department there. And one of the, wo- the women who's, part of the head, the lead of the evangelism department actually went to hell. (laughs) 
and I'll tell you, her life will never be the same. I've seen her evangelize. I've seen her sit with people that are rejecting the gospel and weep and weep and weep, and you know it's real. You know that she's sharing from her heart. I've experienced this place. This is real. I plead with you, give your life to Jesus. And so I want to encourage you that if the Lord does stir on your heart to listen to those, it's powerful. And it's powerful. Bill Weiss, 23 Minutes in Hell, he has a book and a CD. The encouraging part of it is Jesus' heart. Jesus shows up in this encounter and says to him, the reason I let you go here is because people don't believe this place exists and a lot of my people don't believe this place exists and you need to go tell them. It's in the scriptures, but it's being avoided. And it's incredibly significant that we... Paul actually said, my hands were free from the blood of men because I shared the entire counsel of God. Implying that if he hadn't, there would have been guilt. And so I stand here today, the reason I'm sharing this is because I fear the blood of people that I stand up and talk to and I don't warn them that if you reject the gospel, this is what awaits you. And we don't do it in arrogance. We do it in weeping. We do it in a, with a heart of compassion that this isn't a game. There are real people involved here. There are real destinies involved here. I'm skipping a section called understanding the cross. I think you get the point. We don't understand the cross without hell. You don't have a gospel without hell. The church is not sharing the gospel because we don't believe in hell. We are not imploring people to repent and trust Jesus because we don't think it matters. We think everybody ends up in the same place. Beloved, that's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. And I love you, and so that's why I'm, that's why I'm telling you this. I love you enough to tell you this. I do. I hope, I hope your life gets messed up a little bit from this because it's in here. The joy of our salvation. Thank you, Jesus, that you saved us from this. David had this revelation in, in Psalm 21. He actually said, The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation how greatly shall he rejoice. For great is his mercy toward me. You've delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. That's Psalm 86.13. Much of the gratitude in the hearts of the saints is because they actually realize how holy God is, how depraved we are, and our utter need for the cross of Jesus Christ. The gospel and the mission of making disciples, the mission of calling people to trust in Jesus, brings it, it, it's so much more significant when we understand this truth. Amen? Okay, the twofold application, then I'm going to explain that CD. We're going to go into some, uh, a testimony. There's a twofold application to the final judgment. And this is something that, you know, don't take my word for it. Dive into the scriptures more. Study this. There's a lot of good stuff out there. But I want to warn you about annihilationism and universalism. And I don't care how they, I don't, I don't care how they sugarcoat it. You'll discern it. Everyone is not ending up with Jesus on the new earth in, in the resurrection of the righteous. And, I, and my, my, my entire goal in my life is to depopulate hell. <laughs> One person at a time. I could tell you a story of a brother, Native American gang member, who uh, I got to share the gospel with him last week, lead him to Jesus. <laughs> Noth nothing's more exciting for me than to see someone repent and trust him when I know that this is real. I mean, I could tell you a testimony of a guy who thought he was a Christian. A brother of ours was sharing with him. He gives him actually the CD we're going to look at tonight. He gives this to him. And actually, here's, I'll just say my point, and then I'll tell you the testimony. Here's one of the applications. The doctrine of final judgment provides great motivation for evangelism. Great motivation for evangelism. This guy thinks he's a Christian. He's in a Bible study with my, one of my buddies. He meets with him one-on-one. -on -one. He, he, he lays out the gospel, and he realizes this guy isn't surrendered. And he asks him, he said, what's holding you back? He said, I'm not there yet. And the Lord speaks to this guy's name is Mark. He's ministering to a guy named Michael. He gives him this CD. And this is just a tool that communicates the love of God through testimony and song. Jesse Abraham has a song on it. It's powerful. So does Misty Edwards and Brian and Jen Johnson. It's, it's an awesome tool. It's a, it's a Holy Spirit nuke, man. It'll blast people. So he gives this CD to this guy, and he starts praying for him. He, in the meantime, flies to Hawaii. While he's in Hawaii, this guy, Michael, starts texting him saying, man, this CD's really ruining me, man. I'm encountering God's love. I'm encountering God's love. Do you know that it says in Romans 2, his kindness leads us to repentance? Do you know what his kindness is there? It's not like, hey, here's a Twinkie. Come repent. Have you read it in context? The kindness there that Paul is speaking about is the fact that sinners deserve wrath and God's long-suffering, hoping that they're going to turn. 
It's not that we, the kindness of God is not that we avoid the issue of eternal judgment. It's that we tell people, you and I both deserve this. Look what he did. Look what that Jewish man who is God in the flesh did for you. How can you stay apathetic towards him? How can you not give your heart to him? How can you not lay down your life for his name and his glory? Look at what he's done. And so he comes back and he meets with this guy. And this guy tells him, you know, I laid everything out to Jesus and I said, here's all my issue. Here's all my baggage. I'm broken, but I'm in. I surrender to you, Lord. He has a born-again encounter. This guy, Michael, what he doesn't know is six weeks later, he goes into the hospital with some, with some stomach pain. They do a minor operation. He gets this rare blood infection and he's dead two weeks later. This guy's funeral was three weeks ago. This guy surrendered to Jesus eight weeks before he stood before the the Lord himself and his eternity was decided. This is not a light thing. It's not a light thing when Jesus moves on your heart. Now, I I deal with fear when it comes to evangelism. I'm not saying I have it together. I've blown it more than anyone else. But I'm saying that God has invited us into an incredible reality. We're called to actually save people from Revelation 14. Torment that has no end. There is a way of escape. That's the good news, beloved. That's the good news. Amen? The other point was it, it, it provides a motive for righteous living. I want to have Fred come up and share a testimony because I know that street evangelism can be overwhelming and then we're gonna, I'm going to pray actually over the CD that everyone hopefully has. We're going to ask God, God, who do you have prepared for us to deliver the gospel message to you this way? Some of you have never shared the gospel. It's overwhelming to think about it. That's going to change. It's going to change because the fear of man is going to be replaced by the fear of the Lord. The love for other things is going to be replaced by the supreme love for the Lord. Amen? Fred, come up and share what happened to you the other day, man. So uh, I'm new to the Twin Cities, and I come from Madison. And... uh, my old boss, is a, he's an evangelist, and he was the guy that beat everybody up with the Bible. You ever hear those guys? You better take the Lord or you're going to die! I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Relax, man, relax. I, I, I just had, had this awful taste in my mouth about evangelism and what it was. So I meet, I meet this guy, Clint, here. And uh, we're sitting at uh, Friday's, something like that, having some appetizers, Applebee's. He says, Fred, come on out and do this street evangelism. Uh-uh. Don't want to. Ain't going to do it. You can't make me. Oh, come on out, Fred. It'll be fine. You'll be all right. You'll be good. You'll be hanging with me. All right, cool. I'll go hang out with you. And so I, I go downtown, first time ever down there, and I'm seeing all these people walk around. I'm a little freaked out. You know, I'm like, what is going on here? There's all these people drunk. It's football, football Friday, and we're going to go talk the gospel to these people. Right. But here's, here's the thing, beloved, is, is that one thing I did learn that night, and it changed my perspective. It changed my perspective from the guy who was scared to tell people the gospel message because I'm not going to beat anybody up. And so Clint tells me, he's like, Fred, if somebody was over there on that cliff and they're going to jump, they're going to kill themselves, they're going to die, are you, what are you going to do? Well, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? I'm going to go do everything I possibly can to save their life. Everything I can. I'm going to run, and I'm going to run hard, and I'm going to run fast. Until I can grab this person, I'm going to throw everything I have to get them away from the cliff because nobody deserves that. That is absolutely somebody who's confused. I was there. I wasn't on the cliff, but I did the suicide deal. I know what it's like to be alone, and I know what it's like to be standing on the edge of the cliff feeling like nobody loves you. So Clint tells me this, Fred, what are you going to do? I'm going to go. I'm going to go. He says, well, why are you going to go? You don't know them. Well, because nobody deserves it. He says, you're right, Fred, but here's 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 a kicker for you. And that is, Fred, those people over there, Jesus loves that person just as much as he loves you. And for me, this completely twisted everything that I ever thought about. Here I thought I was beating these people up with, with the gospel. Well, what Clint shared with you is the truth. He said, Fred, I love these people. 
I love these people. Because Christ calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves, but how many of us do it? How many of us actually think about loving that person, that, that person that's standing on the edge of the cliff? Clint shared his heart with me, and, and, and for the first time ever in my life, I could understand that, you know what, these people are jumping. They're jumping every day. They're committing suicide. They're going to hell, and I'm watching them. I'm watching them. Do you want to sit there and watch these people jump? No. And so, beloved, when, when, when you see Clint up here sweating and crying, <laughs> it's because he, he has made that shift. He's made that shift from words on a page that say, love your neighbor. And he's made that shift in his heart that says, you know what? I do love my neighbor. With all the love that Christ showed me when I was undeserving, I need to show it to them. I just want you to pray quick. I just want you to pray for anyone here who, like us, can relate that the thought of evangelism scares us. (laughs) And there's fear in our heart, and I believe that God's removing that. I believe God's giving grace tonight. And the first thing I want, I'm going to have you pray for them for that and for this. So this tool, everyone has one. Does everyone have one? Anybody not have one? It's the Real Love City. We're going to pray right now. I'm going to have Fred pray that God would put a name or a face on your heart that God has called and prepared to receive the message of Jesus's, his love through his death, through this tool. And then we're going to commission you guys to go forth and to share this. Amen. And then I'm going to share an outreach that's available. So, Fred, pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we love you. And we thank you, Father. You sent your Son to die on a cross for us, the undeserving. Father God, you showed us what love is all about. And so, Lord God, I I pray for your Spirit to fill this room right now, to fill the hearts of these believers, to fill the hearts of your beloved children. Father God, we ask for an enlightenment Father God, we pray for your word to be placed on each and every one of our hearts, Lord. Father God, we pray for your spotlight to be upon at least one person in our lives, one person that we look at, that we wonder, do they know Jesus? Father God, we pray for a courage and a strength that only you can provide, the one that gets us out of our shell, the one that the one that equips us to go forward, the one that shows us that love and how much we need to give that. Freely it was given, so beloved, freely give it. Father God, give us the courage. Lord God, we pray for the CD. We pray for your holy anointing upon this CD that, Father God, this might be the key that opens up the door. That maybe those of us who are maybe a little bit too scared to even speak, maybe we just have the courage for one brief moment to say, because I love you, listen to this and let's talk. Father God, anoint the words, anoint the music, anoint these soldiers in your army, Father God, to go forth and spread the good news. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share an opportunity. If you hear that message, you go, you know what, I'm stirred. I want to do something about this. We want to invite you. Uh, there's going to be an outreach called Love Minneapolis. We're going to hand, uh, have a handout sheet uh, to pass around. We're going to encourage and challenge you guys to, to come out and to share the love of God with someone, to, to come out of our comfort zone because it, it, it's so impacted us. And what Love Minneapolis is, it's an outreach put on by the Ministry of Trinity Works. We're going to be meeting at the Marriott Hotel in downtown Minneapolis. And we're going to be gathering at 8 a.m., noon, and 4. And we're going to be gathering and doing training. For those of you who have never done street outreach, that's totally okay. This is not going to be intimidating. It's going to be an easy on-ramp for you to enter into being a witness for Jesus. Maybe you've never done it. What we're going to do is we're going to go out with 5,000 Real Love CDs and 5,000 Long Stem Roses. We feel like God said, in, light of, in honor of Valentine's Day, it's going to be on February 14th. It's a Tuesday, and actually you'll be able to be done if you, if you go to the last outreach to be back to Communitas on time, that uh, we're going to go out and share those and say, you know what, in honor of Valentine's Day, I've encountered real love. <laughs> and real love isn't what Hollywood's selling you. It's the God-man dying on a tree. Now, you don't need to say it like that. <laughs> we're going te- to teach you how to not, you know, I don't, I don't talk to the lost like I talk to you guys, right? <laughs> a little bit different language, okay? But uh, I want to encourage you guys to pray about being a part of that outreach. And so there's a sign-up sheet going around with more information. 
February 14th, the Marriott Hotel, 8 a.m., noon, and 4. We're going to be handing out CDs, praying for people. And I, my hope is that as we get between God and the people that he so extravagantly loves, that we get ruined with his heart. So as we go into a time of ministry and worship, I just want to, I want to have us break up into groups of two and three. And I want to pray that God would give us greater boldness. That in light of the reality of hell, that this is real, that we would come out of our comfort zone. We'd have boldness to share our testimony with, a per- with our coworker who doesn't know the Lord yet. And to share the good news of what Jesus has done. So Father, I just pray, God, that you would stir us to be witnesses. That you would challenge us, God, to share the gospel. We thank you for the great invitation to declare your glory and your love to this city, Lord. Let this city be turned upside down with the gospel. A a people so abandoned to your heart that we live like we're from a different world because we are. We're awaiting a kingdom that's coming in Jesus' name. So if you want to all stand and just grab one or two people around you, I just want to encourage you to pray for them. Boldness to share the gospel. And then we'll go into a time of worship. Paul will be taking those who want to know more about the school. Jonathan, in a few moments, about those who are new. And if you want prayer for anything, I want to encourage you. There's going to be prayer ministers up at the front to come on up and get prayer. So God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.